brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make your podcast. You can create, distribute, and monetize your content right from your phone. Anchor is completely free to use with no storage limits, no trial period, and no strings attached. Easily distribute your podcast to every major podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I even use Anchor for my podcast, so download the app today or visit anchor.fm. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Three Course Combo Podcast, where I serve you three of the hottest topics in the food world. This is your host, Paula Mims. And there have been some interesting stories that have come out in the last week and a half or so. For one, remember that restaurant I was talking about in an older episode of my podcast? The restaurant that had that infamous room above it called The Rape Room? Yes, I am talking about The Spotted Pig. Now, some would say that The Spotted Pig revolutionized the genre of the food scene known as the gastro pub and it actually put that type of food eatery on the map well the spotted pig has closed its doors for good if you can remember a few years ago in 2017 its owner ken friedman was in some hot water as multiple women came forward and accused him of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment now for the past three years ken friedman has fought his way to save his reputation and to save the restaurant from tarnish. But that didn't end well as Spotted Pig is finally closing his doors for good. Now, if you can remember during those three years, his ex-partner and ex-head chef, April Bloomfield, parted ways with him as she was considered part of the problem as many came forward and said that she was very complicit with the behavior at the restaurant. Ever since the public display, she has parted ways with Ken Friedman. He's also almost partnered with two up-and-coming chefs as well, and they also have recently parted ways with him as they did not want to deal with the public. So Ken Friedman didn't win the battle, and the Spotted Pig has come to a close. Nearly 80 employees have lost their job, and we do not know any more news that's coming forward about any future plans with the Spotted Pig or its location. Another recent story that was also interesting to me was that on Twitter, I was looking through and I was seeing a lot of people complaining about the food media publication, Bon Appetit Magazine. Now, if you're familiar, Bon Appetit Magazine magazine publishes an online recipe uh, blog where they have people from their test kitchen do recipes online on screen. And as many people had displayed a lot of frustration with Bon Appetit because there's a lack of black and brown people in their test kitchen. Now, if you know, a lot of publications, especially in the food media world, there's a lack of diversity, and especially when it comes to black or brown people, or people of color in publications, and Bon Appetit is no exception. So many people have um, displayed a lot of frustration. There was actually a recent article about how they were sick of seeing Bon Appetit test kitchen employees and there was no person of color. If there were, there were not so many. And actually, when they do bring in people who are more diverse due to a special segment or recipe that's considered more ethnic, um, is usually diluted or watered down or filtered out. So many people had displayed a lot of frustration with that. And I recently was talking about that also on Twitter. And I think I wrote something about it in a recent piece that's on medium.com. 
But this episode is not about that. This episode is actually about food fraud. Now, food fraud has been a problem in the USA for decades, and not just the USA. Ever since the food industry has become a global enterprise, this has been a problem globally. And ever since transparency of our food system has diluted and diluted so much throughout the years, it is no surprise that food fraud is still climbing. So this episode, we'll dive into three specific foods that are high on the food fraud list, and then you can get to see which type of foods that you're used to buying from the market may not actually be what it says. So let's dig in. So... I remember hearing about the first instance of food fraud a few years ago when I was in a class about our food systems. It was a contemporary food systems class. And we were talking about um, the topic of food fraud and how that has become a phenomenon for the past several decades. It's nothing new. Food adulteration has been something that's been going on since, I don't know, since the beginning of the global food chain, the global food system. So um, there has been frequent foods that have been on a list of adulteration. And actually the top three foods that happen to be um, adulterated are honey, milk, and olive oil. And actually honey is number three um, behind milk and olive oil, olive oil being number one. So um, just a quick definition about honey, because we're going to start off the first course about honey. Honey adulteration is the process of cutting pure honey with fillers and cheaper sweeteners. Um, So those cheap um, sweeteners or fillers include high fructose corn syrup or beet sugar, things such as that. So honey, as you may know, all those people who use honey for, you know, smoothies to make tea, um to put on some toast, people who really love the raw natural sweeteners such as honey and not just added sugars. Um, And, you know, we've been in a boom with, you know, natural raw products. People are into these organic um, farm to fork approaches with their food and honey has been one of them. And actually since the 90s, honey has increased, um, has doubled in demand in terms of consumption. Through that, You may think that things will have changed since the demand is higher, but actually domestic honey production did not catch up with the demand. Therefore, a lot of the honey that we get within this country is um, from other countries imported or adulterated and filled with fillers and other sweeteners, such as corn syrup. So when corn syrup is added to honey, um, it thins it out, makes sure the volume of honey per container they're selling is fulfilled. So it's a very cheap and easy way to sell their honey on the market and to make sure that it's keeping up with demand that's happening in this country and globally, actually, because honey has become a global enterprise. And so with that, a lot of regulations have created instruments and procedures that would try to detect to see if it's honey. And according to the FDA, if there's no pollen deposits found in honey samples, it cannot be legally called honey. Um, But there are certain loopholes with that. A lot of companies have said that the reason why they don't find pollen in their samples is due to their heavy filtration systems because consumers demand very clear 
um, honey in their bottles. <clears throat> honey that doesn't look like it has impurities in it. So through that, their high filtration systems has caused the pollen to um, be absent from the samples. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. I had a little something in my throat. I don't know what's going on today. I'm a little sick today. Um, sorry about that. <clears throat> but, um, so those high filtration systems are something that's really causing a lot of these companies to create these loopholes and to create and put all these fillers and um, sweeteners within the honey to thin it out. Um, and actually, according to the FDA, there are people who, you know, regulate to see if honey production is being true to itself, if it's actually going by the rules. And actually, a spokesperson from the FDA who analyzes honey and olive oil, Martin Stutzman, who, who monitors these two products especially, told USA Today that sugar or high fructose corn syrup used to be, used to be the most commonly used um, products to thin honey. But an isotope test easily spotted this adulteration. So savvy counterfeiters switched to beet sugar with a chemical profile much more similar to honey. The FDA in turn switched to more complicated multi-step tests. But once we started catching people, they create a moving target. They'll switch to something more difficult to detect, according to Stutzman. So basically... Um, when high fructose corn syrup was easily detected in these tests, they they went to beet sugar because beet sugar was harder to detect. But as, you know, FDA and all these tests are realizing these um, counterfeiters who are just getting smarter and smarter, they're trying to create these multi-step tests to catch the adulteration to make sure that it's actually pure honey. And I remember hearing about this for the first time and... I literally was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, does it really have to do with the price of honey? Because, like, sometimes I, I used to buy cheap honey. Um, honey is not cheap, so I would get the cheapest one I find at Trader Joe's or, um, you know, those small stores. I've never bought honey from a drugstore, but from a grocery store, I used to get the cheapest one. And I used to think, oh, maybe I'm getting the cheapest one. That means that I'm getting adulterated honey, fake honey. Um, and that's actually technically not the case. At majority of major supermarket honey samples that were sent in for testing were actually found to have fraudulent um, specimens or they were definitely adulterated. So not necessarily deals with the price of the honey to know if it's adulterated or not. Uh, if you go to your local farmer's market um, and try to get raw honey from a local farmer, um, you have a higher chance of it to be actual honey, but sometimes you also have to be very careful because um, a lot of local farmers also know loopholes and things to make their honey seem better than what it actually is. And when it comes to the imported honey, because domestic honey production never increased due to demand, a lot of the honey has come from other places, including Canada and China being a big one. And a lot of food labeling when it comes to honey has also been under scrutiny due to the fact that it is not truly saying where the honey is coming from. And a lot of the honey that people are thinking it comes from, you know, Canada or other places that they believe to the honey to come from is actually coming from China sor Chinese sources. And a lot of people had problems with that. Um, that's also a huge problem that's been happening in the honey industry. Also with imported honey, a lot of local beehives, a lot of local bee purveyors have decreased in their sales and a lot of them have shut down and decreased a lot of their production because they're not getting any revenue because 
a lot of these major food companies are getting honey from other places. So that's kind of sad that a lot of local honey purveyors are not really getting the business that they ought to get because of this high demand and a lot of these companies using cheap honey products to move on the shelves in supermarkets. So, you know, it's this cycle of cheap um, production in order to gain profit, cheating the system, creating these loopholes, our lack of transparency in the food industry and in our food system has created this very vulnerable food system. With this lack of transparency, we as we are consumers in this country have really been cheated by this food system and this vulnerable food system in order for us to think that we're actually getting a product what is actually not the actual product. So honey is just one of those catalysts in terms of how the food system has really created this non-transparent funnel or vacuum that really cheats our consumer public. And it's really, really sad. And I learned so much about honey and how a lot of other foods that we may not think, such as fish and milk and olive oil, um, have all been adulterated and have all been things that we should definitely be disgusted by. I remember reading The Jungle and hearing all, reading all of these adulterations that were happening with, you know, meat products, especially canned meat products, laced with metal, laced with feces, laced with a lot of harmful chemicals. And it's, it, it's still happening. Um, yes, we have better tests to detect these adulterations, but it's still happening in our food system. And it's something that definitely needs to be put to an end. Our second course is about that sweet juice that's extracted from those sweet olives. Yes, I'm talking about olive oil. Olive oil? How can olive oil be fake? How can olive oil be a fraud? Well, let me tell you, it's actually the one, the biggest fraudulent food products out there. Um, olive oil comes from all around the world, and over 90% of our olive oil in the U.S. that we buy is imported from other countries. Well... There's room for deception when it comes to producing olive oil. And often-wise, a lot of olive oil that's being produced is produced in one country and shipped to another country to, to be bottled. And actually, that's when the lack of transparency happens because you never know what's happening between that chain. And a lot of the times when olive oil moves from one country to another to be bottled, other oils from other countries are added the place of origin, it becomes muddled, and you have no idea actually what is in that bottle of EVOO that you're buying. I personally use olive oil all the time. I rarely use butter. I use butter once in a blue moon. Olive oil is my number one cooking oil choice, cooking fat choice. I use extra virgin olive oil at all times. I never, ever, ever used normal olive oil. If it doesn't say extra virgin olive oil on a bottle, I do not buy it. That doesn't sound bougie. I'm not trying to be bougie. I just know with all these cases of fraudulent olive oil that extra virgin olive oil is your best bet. And the reason why I know this is because I found that out on these great tips that a food writer and contributor to Epicurious, Janet Ross of Fuller, has had a list of things to look for when it comes to fake fake olive oil. And uh, one of them is making sure you buy extra virgin olive oil. But before I get to those tips, I just want to talk about a little bit about fake olive oil in general. 
Um, a lot of the olive oil that we proceed to get is from Italy. Actually, you can get from you can get olive oil from Spain. Um, a lot of different places other than Italy. A lot of the oil that we get is bottled in Italy, and that's where things get muddled. Like I said before, um, other oils from other countries, such as Greece or uh, Turkey, uh, can be mixed in. Um, lies can be sold where you think your oil is coming directly from Italy, but actually other oils are mixed in. A lot of oils that sit from the previous year's harvest that's been sitting there can be mixed in. So a lot of adulteration is happening with olive oil and especially with extra virgin olive oil where actually adulterating extra virgin olive oil is illegal. And this illegal um, act has been huge for years. Huge, huge for years. So a lot of people think that Olive oil from Italy is the number one trusted olive oil. And I would like to tell you guys it's absolutely uh, can be true and cannot be true. Um, truth is that good and bad olive oil comes from Italy. Good and bad olive oil comes from United States. Good and bad olive oil can come from Spain, Greece, um, Australia, things like that. So it's not just one place that you think you can, oh, I can trust anything that comes from that country. It's like when people say, oh, I trust all you know, wines from France or things like in that nature. Um, so how big is this fraud, you may ask? Well, experts have said that this fraud of olive oil has become huge in the past decade or so. Um, and actually, this fraud of olive oil has been traced back to ancient times from um, anthropologists. And especially in Italy within the last two years, um, authorities have confiscated more than 2,000 tons of fake olive oil and a huge investigation was la was launched um, in seven of the country's leading olive oil producers. So that's a pretty big investigation. And that's huge. And I had no idea that fake fraudulent olive oil was something that was done back in the ancient times. Um, so, and if you want to talk about the U.S., um, not... Too long ago, the USDA didn't even inspect or really cared about um, fake olive oil. They never really looked into it. Now that has changed. A lot of um, testing and regulations have been called upon imported olive oil, um, which is which I said before, which is over 90% of what we buy today in the stores are imported olive oils. So um, we're going to go back to that list that I was talking to you about, about signs to look for to see if your olive oil is fake or not. Number one thing is that extra version, that EVOO. Remember Rachel Ray used to always say EVOO. She has a brand of olive oil called EVOO. Um, you want to make sure that you have extra version on that bottle. Um, you're just going to get low quality olive oil if it does not say extra version. That extra version, that small quote, just just re-introduce um, you into this high-grade level olive oil. And it's just a um, way to know that you're getting a higher grade and more um, quality, better quality olive oil. Also, you want to look for the harvest date. Um, the harvest date is very important because, like I said before, there's muddled information between the harvest and the bottling. Um, and you really want to know what the harvest date is, the place of origin, etc., if a label calls out the name of the producer um, or a state or variety of olive oil use, it's very likely genuine. It's very likely that it's real olive oil. 
you also want to ignore the best buy or bottled on dates. Um, this is not really necessary. Um, and it doesn't really have any merit. Um, and it's just, to me, I think useless information. Um, you can look for a third party certification seal, especially um, European Union's protected uh, bottles or producers. Um, that's very important to look for. If you see extra virgin olive oil made in Australia or Chile, um, that's a good indication. Um, most people think Italy is the best place, but actually Australia and Chile are great, genuine producers. Um, don't fall for any fancy packaging. Don't think because, oh, it looks bougie, it looks fancy, I need to buy it, it's genuine, it's genuine, E-V-O-O, -O, and that's not always the case. And most people, majority of people, always think the best olive oil is the most expensive, and that is also not the case. You also want to trust your senses. You know, just make sure if you feel like it doesn't seem right, um, it just seems a little off to you, uh, it doesn't make sense, like the information, then don't buy it. If you're, if you're trusting one specific brand that you've been using for years, um, go with your gut. Don't trust anything else. Just go with what you know. Most of the time, your gut knows what it's talking about. So those are just some tips to help you to know if, uh, to avoid fake olive oil. And I think it's very important because olive oil is not cheap. And when you're spending so much money on what you think is a good EVOO, it may not be what you thought it was. And that's the whole uh, consensus of what food fraud is. It's like you're not buying what you thought you're buying. Um, olive oil is a very important oil, important fat. It's full of monounsaturated fat. Um, it has great benefits. We know that it helps our health. It has a bunch of antioxidants. It's good for um, reducing inflammation. It's good for raising HDL levels and lowering LDL levels. There are just so many benefits that we have learned throughout the decades about olive oil and its beneficial health effects. So people are going to buy olive oil. People are going to continue to buy olive oil because of those things. And when they also have to worry about the fact that it could be fake, that is just a detriment to our society. That's a detriment to our food system. Um, <clears throat> olive oil is just something that, you know, consumers have the right to know what it actually is. Any food that we eat, they have a right to know what it actually is. But now there's new technology that's being produced, that's being put out to actually detect imported olive oil to see if it's actually genuine. And actually IBM, the tech company, is actually launching a blockchain uh, system that tracks dozens of fresh food products, including olive oil. So this blockchain codes necessary to make sure you get good olive oil, um, it's a very rigorous and multi-step process to see if the olive oil is um, genuine. Um, so I think this is a really good idea that IBM is using this technology to make sure that olive oil that people are buying is uh, genuine. Um, using blockchain to document the steps in producing, testing, and shipping olive oil, according to Fast Company, um, will support its legitimacy. Um, and it's just other products they will also do. They will also do milk. They also do fish, other food products as well. So I think this is a great technology. Like I said before, it's something that's very needed. You know, there's been a lack of care, especially 
in the U.S. when it's in terms of olive oil testing. Not too long ago, the USDA didn't really care. Um, not too long ago, there was a huge investigation that was happening with olive oil, especially from Italy. So I'm not throwing shade at Italy. I'm just saying that, you know, our misconceptions can really bring us to something that's not, you know, viable. It can really um, deceive us a lot of the times. And uh, olive oil is a huge culprit of that. And it's very sad to know that another product that we're that's high on the trending era, such as honey, that's something that has great benefits, health benefits, just like honey, like I said in the first course, is has fallen culprit to another scam. And it's very, very, very unfortunate. So one of my most favorite things to make or to cook is a good bolognese. Now, I love a good bolognese. I love waking up on a Sunday morning and think about the bolognese and spend my entire day making it. You know, it's a three plus hour process of making a good bolognese. And after I finish my bolognese and I think about, hmm, how I'm going to top this bolognese and just complete the overall dish, you know, I get some Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese and I sprinkle it on top and voila, I have a good bolognese. Now, for my third course, I could talk about milk being adulterated and milk fraud since milk is the second most fraudulent food items on the market. But I actually want to take this time to talk about another food item, Parmesan cheese. Now, I remember in college, I had a roommate named Molly, and she, we would have Parmesan cheese with, you know, Italian-inspired dishes, and she never called it Parmesan cheese. You don't, you know, you know, I'm talking about the ones that be in the little plastic jar that you find on the shelf, um, not in the refrigerator section, but on the shelf next to the pasta or the pasta sauces. You know what I'm talking about. Kraft makes it. Anyway, she used to call it sprinkle cheese. And she says, I refuse to call it Parmesan cheese because I know it's not real. Um, and she had a point. She called it sprinkle cheese. We will use that sprinkle cheese. We were broke college students, end of the day. But I want to talk about Parmesan cheese because, do you, I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2016, there was a huge investigation in a Pennsylvania-based cheese company called Castle Cheese, Inc. And they were fined because they... It was found that their Parmesan cheese, packaged Parmesan cheese, was actually fake. It was um, cheese, uh, grated cheese from different various cheeses that were put together. And actually, one of the biggest things that is added to cheap Parmesan cheese or fake from Parmesan cheese is actually wood pulp. Yes, you heard that right. Wood pulp. Um, technically, according to the FDA, a certain amount of wood pulp is actually allowable to consume for the average consumer. But of course, we live in a capitalist society, so any major company is going to push that limit and put as much wood pulp as they can before being noticed. Well, that Pennsylvania-based company faced huge damages, um, and they were marketing 100% of their Parmesan cheese, and it actually was not Parmesan cheese at all. And actually, a lot of Parmesan cheeses also uses cheddar, not Parmesan. So that company actually was fined and almost and got prison time, I believe, um, you could definitely get prison time and get a fine up to a $100,000 fine for faking Parmesan cheese. Now, one of the biggest ways you can tell if the Parmesan cheese is real is actually by looking at its label. Now, one of the things you can see is if it says made in Italy. Um, also, if it says Parmigiano Reggiano, okay? If it says Parmigiano Reggiano, mo most likely that it's real. And if it's made in Italy, it's most likely real. 
but be on the lookout. And most people think that since it's cheap, Parmesan cheese will not be the real thing. That's been the whole trend this entire episode of people thinking that if it's cheap, it's not the real thing. But that's actually not always the case. Just be on the lookout. It could be that cheddar or it can also be wood pulp. So if you don't want to have, you know, wood fine micro wood shavings in your cheese as you sprinkle it on your great bolognese as you spend over four hours making maybe you should make sure you spend a little bit more money and make sure it says parmigiano reggiano and that it's made in italy well there you have it folks that was another episode of the three course convo once again i am your host paulo mims you can check this episode and other past episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also find it on my website, mrpaulomims.com. That's M-R-P-A-U-L-O-M-I-M-S.com. You can also find me on the social medias at Mr. Paul Omims on Twitter and on Instagram. Our next episode will be the season finale. I'm so excited for the next episode because we will be talking about sustainability and I have a special treat I'm interviewing food entrepreneurs, Sheetal and Zuri, and they will be talking about their new beverage tea line. I'm so excited for that. So stay tuned for that, and goodbye.